Hi, it's Sarah Kaplan. This limited series podcast is from GATE Audio. GATE stands for the Institute for Gender and the Economy at the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management, and I'm GATE's director. Our goal is to engage current and future leaders in rich conversations around inequities in our society and how we might address them. In this podcast series, one of GATE's MBA fellows, Nargis Premji, explores the different ways that people cover and uncover their identities at work. Through research, interviews, first-hand accounts, and rich storytelling, Nargis ventures into the world of covering, why it happens, and what employers can do to make workplaces more inclusive. You'll be moved and inspired by her deeply personal take on the issues, as was I. So up next, listen to what Nargis has to say. Welcome to Covering in the Workplace, a podcast from the Institute of Gender and the Economy, or GATE. I'm Nargis Premji. In each episode, I will be interviewing one individual on how they have covered in the workplace, or perhaps never felt the need to do so. Today, we will be speaking to Marco Radin. Marco supports Rotman's strategic management area at the University of Toronto. Before working at Rotman, Marco worked at the Faculty of Pharmacy. He holds a master's in education from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at U of T, as well as a postgraduate human resource management certification from Sheridan College. Marco's story about covering in the workplace is with regards to his disabilities. Thank you for being with us here today, Marco. Would you like to begin by sharing your story of covering in the workplace? I guess my my story around covering my uh, my disabilities um, is that I have a couple of them, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because some of them, one of them, I have almost no problem cover, um, showing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the other one, I'm a little bit more um, wary of, of talking about. Um, it aff- it's affected me more, I would probably say. Uh, it's more recent, and um, I'm still kind of figuring out, moving forward for the rest of my life, how it'll uh, how it'll affect me. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty open book in general, but um, and I have no problem um, talking about it to uh, someone like yourself in a more uh, safer, inclusive environment. But in terms of you know, in uh, with a with a, a boss or a supervisor mm-hmm. or with uh, direct colleagues, there are certain things that sort of haven't uh, haven't disclosed as yet, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I will or won't. Um, mm-hmm. I think that has to be the right time. And can you, if you're comfortable sharing, can you tell us about the ones that you have disclosed? Yeah, I have um, ADHD, mm-hmm. uh, attention deficit hyperactivity. Um, so sitting still is very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty obvious for someone who's mo- moderately observant. So um, with those little in, um, idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. comes with, uh, I believe, some some strength as well. I'm very uh, I'm very adept at receiving different types of stimuli and absorbing them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the concentration stuff is a little bit more difficult for me. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing something while having a conversation, while reading something at the same time, I have no problem doing that in, in general. And sometimes, you know, I am doing a bunch of things at once and I sometimes address to, to people I'm speaking with like I'm not ignoring you I'm just mm-hmm. annoy yourself like I have ADD so I can listen to you and do what I'm doing at the same oh. time you know what I mean so cool. sometimes <laughs> people might feel offended if I'm like texting or um, or writing something down while having a conversation yeah um, especially uh, my current role I'm sort of receiving people onto the floor mm-hmm. so I might be meeting someone new for the first time while um, 
doing a bunch of things, right? That's sort of the admin role that I'm doing. I I, I usually don't, you know, disclose to a random new person, right. but just someone um, that I, I'm relatively comfortable with. I just, you know, make sure I let them know that I'm, I'm not I'm not ignoring them. Right. Right. So I tried to add some humor. As a, I don't want to call it a justification, but it's sort of like more for them to have an understanding of, mm-hmm. of you know, of who I am. So it seems like th- there are things that have worked in your favor in terms of you're able to multitask and all yeah. of that. Um, are there any professional challenges you faced uh, in the workplace as a result of uncovering this disability? In terms of some challenges that I've had, um, because I have, I'd say, a covering and an uncovered disability, mm-hmm. um, and they sort of they sort of intersect and intertwine sometimes, and sometimes they're mutually exclusive. It's really hard to say a specific challenge. Concentration is always always an issue, and sometimes if I'm doing something more in depth, the multitasking strength I have doesn't really play a part because mm-hmm. the multitasking is more on a superficial level. But if I'm trying to write an email that's a little bit more intense and, and has to be perfect and precise, but there are conversations around me, people asking questions, that sort of makes things potentially a little bit lo- longer to do. Mm-hmm. Um, reading anything more in depth is also difficult, partially because of the of, of the disability as well. So there's there interviews like like we're doing right now. Sometimes um, you know it, it's not as uh, it's not as smooth as someone who may um, may have the um, the poise that I, I may lack sometimes. Um, so I try to pause. I try to have my own um, ways of of um, circumventing, mm-hmm. say the uh, the disability. Yeah. No, you're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, I probably haven't mentioned this, but mm-hmm. I have been invisible disability or invisible disabilities. And I, I, I think that is a crucial difference because I th- it's a little mm-hmm. bit easier to see somebody having a cane or a wheelchair or, or somebody who has vision um, challenges, right? Those are um, those can be accommodated and those can be even understood a little bit more, I don't want to say easier, but they're very visible. That's, that's the best way to say it. They're visible. True. So you can't hide from that, right? Mm-hmm. There may be confidence issues, challenges, psychological things associated with that which I think those things need to be um, accommodated and helped but people in my in my situation I walk around people think I'm quote normal people Mm -hmm. think you know they don't see the struggles that I may have and and that is sort of from the step of being having an invisible disability to disclosing that or to getting help mm-hmm. from that that is that's a huge leap sometimes so right yeah. and um that is where i think at least from my perspective i think that those are those are the ways that um organizations can start looking definitely uh i think you were spot on the fact that invisible disabilities are something that that are just naturally covered those are the ones that need to be uncovered or at least accommodated (laughs) in some way Mm -hmm. uh it doesn't have to be covered to everybody it can be covered to the appropriate people most accommodations you aren't even necessarily supposed to know what the disabilities are it's sort of just what are the accommodations needed right exactly yeah but there's even a gap in that sense because Mm -hmm. when i when i'm thinking about trying to ask for an accommodation there is probably going to be questions, right? Oh, but why do you need like why do you need that? Or like oh, like how about can we do this? And it's like mm, you know I'd be more comfortable this way. And like there's mm-hmm. there's there's always even when people try, there's still always gaps, right? And it's like it's like okay, let's 
let's go to the next level and the next level so that these gaps are shrinking slower mm-hmm. and slower to the back to the point where hopefully um they're so minimal uh you know where, where where people will be fully accommodated i'm curious to know more about the transition so i'm guessing like when you first went the first time you went in the workforce um i'm not sure if you always covered it uh or did you cover it in the beginning and how did that transition happen where you started being more comfortable telling people so what motivated you or who who motivated you to uh to uncover this disability in terms of my my transition is it's actually a really interesting story because um i was only diagnosed as having adhd mostly self-diagnosis mm-hmm. Um, but I was only formally diagnosed during my third year in my undergrad. The inflection point after has probably changed my career in, in a certain sense, especially my academic career, because I had I didn't understand my necessity mm-hmm. for accommodations. I didn't understand what ADHD was really. But uh, a friend of mine, um, former work uh, work colleague, um, she actually told me that she she was diagnosed and as an adult, I guess, uh, as opposed to as, as a child. And um, there was a little bit of, um, once I was diagnosed, I was I was a little bit saddened in the fact that I believe I'm a pure, easy case of ADHD. Any teacher would, nowadays, would recognize it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I believe if I had these accommodations as, you know, grade one, grade two, I believe my complete career would have changed in a, in a different way because I would have mm-hmm. been, uh, I, I had always had relatively high grades, but uh, a lot of the behavior stuff like talking out of turn or um, mm. not sitting still <laughs> or being a little bit um, fun with my classmates. Um, you know, those things I think were ch- chalked up to old school, you know, boys being boys as, as right. maybe some of it was, you know, but I think some of it also, or a lot of it was probably the fact that um, I do have a disability, um, which high functioning disability, luckily, but um, it, it definitely affected um, potential outcomes Especially early, the earlier you, you catch something, the better you can be treated, or or, mm-hmm. or even knowing yourself moving forward, right? So um, in my third year, I, I got a diagnosis, talked to the accessibility center, which in at U of T, this was at UTM, but when I was doing my masters here at St. George, both were amazing. Like they actually helped so much in terms of all my accommodations. They listened. They were, they were, yeah, it was just, it completely changed my potential for dropping out versus graduating. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, 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 my grades shot up significantly once the accommodations were in place in the workplace. Like I said, I'm still kind of struggling how to ask for accommodations and how to approach these things because it's it, it's so nuanced and it's so um sometimes it's hard to even pinpoint, pinpoint relevant accommodation mm-hmm. and with my undisclosed uh, disability let's say that i'm still covering that's a whole nother right. kettle of fish Tell me a little bit more about the accommodation process, uh, the ones that you had requested U of T for earlier. What was that process like? It was basically me um, having a strong belief that I, I had something after doing like moderate research prior to um, this ask, <laughs> this meeting. I got an assessment with a psychoeducational, um, ass- I got a psych- psychoeducational assessment mm-hmm. with a psychologist, I believe. It was expensive, but luckily I got a grant from OSAP to help pay for that. Mm-hmm. The report actually was really enlightening to understand like how I fit into the 
um, the normalcy of, um, I guess, of society in terms of um, audio processing, memory, and all these other factors, and how, like, I was shocked how, how high they were relative to the grades I was getting. I was like, mm-hmm. why am I so, like, high on these, in these like, tests? Mm. But my grades are, like, really poor. Not that U of T is an easy school. It's very, it's obviously difficult. And I, I think the strategies I would have liked to have had in place earlier in my life, if my accommodations were in place, if my disability was diagnosed, um, that being said, after which my, like I said, my grades improved a lot and um, I was able to um, finish my undergrad at least with some confidence yeah. moving forward. Tell me a bit more about why do you think it's harder to get accommodations in the workplace? I think it's definitely harder to get um, any type of, whether it's disability accommodations or um, religious accommodations. It depends on the employer. Everything is so nuanced, right? If you're at an amazing employer like like a bank or at U of T or, you know, where um, this is like frontier sort of work that they're doing it's a lot easier mm-hmm. but even then knowing oneself and and even asking the right accommodations are difficult because there's going to be probably follow-up questions right and mm. um and sometimes you don't want to seem like you're overstepping the bounds or um like you're like you're asking too much one thing i want to also i guess point out in the in, in this context is that this is sort of from my own heart right. is that I believe people with disabilities are, are um, the, it's a lot more difficult for them to find full-time work. And that's sort of my challenge uh, as I'm having uh, you know, contract after contract. What that also does is that you have to be a little bit more uh, risk averse in, in asking things. At least I, it's my perception um, because I don't, for example, U of T is a unionized environment. Once you're in the union, you have a little bit more power in the sense of uh, being yourself mm-hmm. um, and maybe asking for these accommodations. And even though I have probably a lot more knowledge than the general the general public in terms of accommodations, uh, I did study human resources and I've I've went to con- like you know conferences and lectures and I, I've I've done the gambit um, in in terms of understanding these things. But in practice, it's there's still a huge disconnect between you know reality and you know when a policy says yes, we will accommodate you. Um, there's still that that gray area. And with someone who has contract work and in that in that sort of level, it, it, it you don't want to ask for too much. You know, you sort of want to just work hard and hopefully be appreciated and mm-hmm. at some point get you know get a full time position. Same thing happened when I was working at at, the, at a bank. Um, similar issues, contract. Don't want to. Don't want to ask too much. And what can the organizations do to create an environment where people are uncomfortable uh, uncovering this? What, what policies do you think we can have in place? And how can colleagues also help make it more inclusive? From poli- from the policy perspective, I th- I think it's it's understanding, pushing boundaries, going above and beyond, putting resources. I think is the number one thing. Putting money into into these sort of innovative ways of, of accommodating. Obviously, people are running lean. People, you know, uh, understanding the balance from from an organizational perspective. It's tricky. It's it's very tricky. I think managers need to be a little bit more have a better understanding of uh, of talking to their employees, mm-hmm. maybe recognizing potentials, and sometimes just asking the questions. I think if someone if if a, if, a, if a supervisor or if a boss asks me like, hey, like you know, is there anything I can I can do? I think I'd be more open to like disclosing or to saying yeah you know like i wish i wish i had this or or you know i think i'm i'm feeling run down in a certain way mentally or um emotionally you know and and 
back to contract work, you know, I don't have I don't have the opportunity to um, to have you know personal day that's paid. You know what I mean? So if, if I'm feeling mentally run down, I either have to suck it up and then maybe be not not as productive as as, as I'd like to be, mm-hmm. or I'd have to take some time off and not get paid. Right. And that is to me, that's huge. Right. Because then it perpetuates, you know, if, if I could have had if, if I could have had a personal day or a couple of personal days that were paid, that could set up my next month to be a lot better. You know right. what I mean? So there's things like that, that I believe policies can be in place for people to be more open to disclosing. And in, in, in that sense, what would you say you've learned about yourself as a person uh, as a result of uncovering the disability you have uncovered? I think the one, th- the, the, the biggest thing I've discovered is, um, and it's not just with disability, but I think it's in, in life and with people, is being way more empathetic to other people. Even if it's some person that may not have necessarily a challenge, it's more just about still having that empathy that, you know, not harboring resentment if someone said something, you know, that I may perceive disrespectful. And that is another thing, my own perception, right? People's actions are based on their own perceptions. And if my perceptions can just be a bit more chilled in the sense that everyone has a story to not take it personally, to not internalize it and to maybe do the opposite and and be even more loving and more accommodating and more caring maybe ask a question with respect you know not necessarily prodding or 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 something uh prying sorry but maybe actually generally caring you know and that's sort of how i try to be with people um way more than i was before because i i I have more way more empathy is there anything that i haven't asked that you you think is important to share and for people to know i guess one more thing to add is just sort of the fight for helping people with disabilities who I believe are, are, are marginalized in a lot of ways, very, very subtly through policy, through people not having empathy. Even from my own personal experience, I, I've only become more empathetic because I had to deal with stuff. And stuff is relative, it's a huge spectrum, what stuff means, right? But people who are, let's say, who don't have these, these hurdles or these challenges, whether it's having a disability or any other personal challenge that someone has, they may not be able to have that level of empathy, right? And 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 I feel the higher up management or in academia or in 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 the corporate world, um, I think there's a lot less representation for people with disabilities. And I think it's even though uh, stories are heard and they have dis- you know disability day, which are great um, beginnings. The policy, the funding, the resources have to be. I think set up from the top and have the resources to have people on the ground do the work. And I think the number one thing for people with disabilities is having independence. The most fundamental thing about being independent is is challenging, respectful, quality work. Uh, I work with um, with a job developer, and um, you know I see the, a lot of a lot of roles for people people with dis- People with disabilities, there a lot of them are token jobs, contract jobs, you know, cooks, cleaners. I'm lucky in the sense that I I have a relatively high education. A lot of people with disabilities may not have that opportunity just because education is so difficult for them. And those who do have disabilities, some of them are on the other spectrum when they're so overly educated and they still can't find meaningful work. And there's a huge dichotomy. It doesn't make sense. And I think I'm a little bit in that boat. And yeah, I just think I, I, that's what I think that meaningful, challenging, respectful, quality work will help people with disabilities be more independent, be more open to selling, telling their story because they'll have some more confidence. Yeah. And one thing I, one thing I, I sort of, I don't know, I can't remember who I was telling. It could have been, it could have been someone in, in, in one of these organizations is that I think, and it's very difficult to get to this, but 
if I think if organizations can accommodate the confidence, not the actually just the disability, but the confident gap in the person with the disability, I think that will absolutely fundamentally change a person because that is where to me the biggest playing field is uh, is still not there, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of it maybe self received and self identified that they don't have this confidence. I know I have had struggled for struggles and confidence which I did not have earlier mm-hmm. in my life, and I, if that could somehow be accomplished mm-hmm. and if something that somehow that could be accommodated I think that would fundamentally change the game and what do you think that organizations can do to boost that confidence boosting that confidence <laughs> from an organizational level is probably people I need p- people a little bit more senior than me to have these type of discussions uh, academics mm-hmm. or psychologists I and, I and I think people with disabilities it needs it needs a multi-discipline approach because it affects so people a person in their societal avenues and their psychological avenues and their educational avenues depending on the disability which is a huge gambit as well i think it needs a multidiscipline um approach to be able to actually somehow accommodate someone's confidence yeah and i think part of it is that person being able to fully disclose to somebody and somebody who has the resources and the power to fully actually help them. I've told some of my story to certain people and have had really poor responses from friends, former bosses. Yeah, and it's it's sort of like a lot of it I think is because they maybe they just don't know what to do. They don't have the power because of the policies, because of the, the structure um, organizations have. And because I think organizations run so lean that they don't have the time or the energy to, to fight these battles. So having either designated people who actually have power, have actual, have resources and potential ability to create introductions or to create platforms for, for, for change. Absolutely. I think another thing that people can, or organizations can help people with disabilities is by helping them become more self-aware of themselves mm-hmm. so that they can actually speak out and have the actual strength to ask for accommodations. Because I've had a lot of time to become self-aware and, and, and I think I'm just that type of person where some people may not even have the opportunity to self-reflect and to be self-aware. I think you've shared a lot of things that organizations can do and I think if organizations out there listening um, it's going to be very inspirational for them to put in these policies and these people in place to actually bring change I, I hope that's the end goal so I hope that happens and also um, you know just sharing your, sharing your story about uncovering about your disability I hope it encourages uh, other people listening to be comfortable sharing uh, their disabilities and getting those accommodations like you said because sometimes positive responses do happen like in your case uh, for U of T so I hope that people have the confidence of asking and organizations have the resources to actually provide. This podcast is brought to you by the Institute for Gender and the Economy at the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management. To listen to our other limited series podcasts, check out the Gate Audio channel on Apple Podcasts or the Gate Audio playlist on Spotify. For additional myth-busting research and game-changing guidance, please visit gendereconomy.org. And thanks for listening.